From UA Little Rock Public Radio, this is The Art Scene. I'm Daniel Brain. With the onset of the pandemic, we've all gotten a little creative when it comes to the way we do business. And for the arts, that's meant a lot of live streaming and online interactive experiences. But for two central Arkansas writers and self-professed occasional scholars, the needs of the pandemic resulted in them bringing back a form from nearly a hundred years ago. Born out of the Depression-era Works Progress Administration, the living newspaper is a lot like what it sounds like, a theatrical presentation of current events to a wide audience, usually over the radio. With Behringer and Andy Vaught, who teach at UCA and Hendrix, respectively, are teaming up on a new living newspaper series called Theater of the Air. Their first episode, in partnership with the nonprofit Decarcerate, is set to hit the airwaves on KABF 88.3 here in Central Arkansas on August 8th at 4 o'clock p.m. I approached um, Adam Frank, who is the artistic director of the Living Ozark Living Newspaper, about this project. Um, and I joined the board, uh, which is sort of a loose collective of people who are kind of pushing the company towards different projects. Um, and then uh, at our fir- my first meeting, I met Wit, um, and I had actually met Wit before. I just didn't remember because I was trying to um, buy a, or adopt a kitten from her. But my landlord at the time would not let me adopt a kitten, so I did not adopt a kitten at all, which is sad. Uh, and so Wit and I have begun collaborating on that. Um, and so I've been really interested in just sort of not only doing creative work here, but also figuring out a way to get the community at large involved in that work, um, whether that is being a performer or whether that is allowing their stories to be told. Um, and this living newspaper is a really great way to do that. Um, you know, we have a few, right now we're looking at August 8th as our first date uh, and we'll go up on KABF 88.3. And we're um, about three quarters of the way through our collaboration with Decarcerate. So doing um, a living newspaper, both about the history of the prison system in Arkansas, equating that prison system with um, the slave system. Um, Zach Crow, who is the director of Decarcerate, is currently writing uh, a book called The Penitentiary, which is all about the history of the penitentiary system in Arkansas. And so we've drawn from his first chapter and we're creating some dramatic reenactments about some uh, notorious scenes in that history and also using quotes um, from a man named John Law, who was um, considered the first millionaire, uh, kind of the person who nationalized the French baking system in the late 1700s, brought slavery to Arkansas, and then promptly bankrupted the French National Bank. Um, And we're also sharing testimonials of people who work with decarcerate, individuals who are currently inside the prison system just sort of sharing their testimonials about how they see their experience equating to um, what they know about slavery and how they see their experience right now with COVID. So it's just sort of trying to create a collage of perspectives and mediums in in a living newspaper. Um, And everyone is sort of an experiment right now. Uh, So it's fun to get to kind of understand what a new art form could be and whether it has staying power or whether it is just sort of a curiosity. I think we're all kind of familiar with theater as a blueprint for change or changing minds. Um, 
because we're familiar with movies and that's where all that comes from. Um, and uh, I think that Andy and I have talked about in the past about how people have impressions of kind of the pretentiousness of theater um, about that it's aspiring to um, you know have these really high level conversations that people are not necessarily everyday people ne don't necessarily want to engage with and I think that that's kind of the wrong way to approach the idea of theater um, the idea of theater is is about people and anything that's about people people should feel like they can interact with uh, I mean we are so bogged down in the everyday um, of just trying to survive and just trying to get through that our imagination gets truncated, um, that we can't actually see beyond ourselves or see beyond the current moment. And theater gives us a chance to imagine how things might be different or imagine different ways that we can approach things or, um, or you know, in the sense of a morality play, show us how we shouldn't do it. I think the, you know, what we're working on is kind of going to be more along the lines of what people will be familiar with as a podcast. Um, but the um, just understanding that, uh, you know, there's a middle ground between like this heavily manicured version and then like people sitting around a computer and or a microphone and just and just chatting, right? Like that there there is a way to kind of combine those art forms um, into something that uh, resonates with individuals. And because there are so many plays and or so many parts and so many different stories, there's always an opportunity to see something of ourselves in it. And so, uh, yeah, theater has the uh, potential to give us the, expand our imaginations for what's possible, um, not just in ourselves, but in the world around us and in our relationships. Um, and theater has always been, you know, uh, well, I shouldn't say always because I'm not that familiar with the history of theater, but um, theater is, all, is a, a way for everyday people uh, to see um, uh, or to, to watch um, these dramas unfold. And uh, the idea that theater is for, is for people who, you know, have graduate degrees and um, can afford to live in New York City, right? Like, there is such a gulf between what that theater is and what the theater is that can, you know, really transform and change, uh, give people uh, more uh, strength and resilience and, and creativity approaching everyday things. Yeah, and I do because it is so fascinating and something that I've never really heard of. I do want to ask more about a living newspaper, like what that sounds like, what that looks like, what structure that is. But I also do want to ask about your approach to theater. You know, it seems like you very much um, see theater as a tool of um, activism, but also of, as, as a, a public service almost. And I was just wondering how you approach that, how, how you came to that realization and sort of how does that, um, how does the form of having a living newspaper, how does that lend itself to your worldview and your, your idea of theater? Yeah, I like it how you said public service because I do really think that theater should be considered a utility something like water or electricity, um, something that's really necessary for us. And it's not something that necessarily gets um, the attention it once did, obviously. It is an art form like opera, maybe, where it is becoming more and more calcified into a niche. Uh, and I'm really interested in taking that out of it um, and figuring out a way where everyone can be involved in it. You know, I think as an artistic director, um, and for 12 years, you know, every day was sort of a learning curve. 
as to how do you make your work palatable to people and how do you make your work exciting to people. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, um, predecessors to this sort of thought process, you know, Bertolt Brecht is a big one. Um, and then there was a, um, a group of theater makers in San Francisco during the 60s, they were called the Diggers. And they would do very strange public pageants, but they would also have the free store. So they had kind of like a food pantry that people could just come and take food from. And they had a free clinic where people, especially uh, in Haight-Ashbury at the time, um, would something that would really benefit them. And their leader said, nobody is changed by a play unless they are in it. Uh, and that really struck me when I read that. And so I'm very interested in how I can create theater that allows multiple people to be in it, that in it regardless of training and expertise and things like that. And how do you make theater sort of a living civic thing? We were talking before we um, started recording about Bach and how Bach was employed as a city musician in places, right? And so there was a time where this sort of music that he was making was considered essential to the life of a town. And so I'm really wanting to make theater essential to the life of the community that it is in. And it seems like the best way to do that is to envelop, or not envelop, but involve people within it. And the living newspaper, I think, is a similar situation, right, where we have stories that are being told by people who might not have theatrical experience um, in decarcerate. The example of that is um, the people who are currently inside of the system. And those testimonials are going to be read by their friends and family. And so we are able to kind of involve people inside and outside of that who might not have a way to do that. We're also going to have music by uh, an individual who I met who's a student at Hendrix, actually, who had spent some time um, behind bars as well. Uh, and so it is about bringing multiple perspectives into it and about all creating art that is accessible to people, but is also um, formulated in such a way where they can not only appreciate it, but they can contribute to it. And the training that they have had or not had is not necessarily the point of those contributions. And so making it a living, breathing thing that is like a road work, right? It's, it's something that's gotta happen. And it's something that you understand the benefit of pretty quickly. Yeah, and I am fascinated with that notion of, of theater as a utility basically, but um, I think it, it's um, especially interesting because it's we're speaking it in the context of both a newspaper and radio, which are things that you know are are not quite a utility, but are, are very much seen as that, especially in smaller mm -hmm. communities. And then the notion that you said of having to essentially be in theater to be uh, moved by it or to be influenced by it, um, it seems that that is really like a, a perfect pairing that you're, if you're doing something similar to a newspaper or you're being on the radio, um, that that is really directly involving the people, I guess. Do you, do you see it that way as well? Or what do you think is, is, yeah, is gained? I, I think, I mean, great points that you just made. And I never even thought about that, right? Like one, here is a newspaper, which is something that is shared by many people. And the radio is also, you know, coming from Louisiana, many times the radio has been our only comfort <clears throat> or source of information, you know, during hurricanes and things like that, when we've lost so much, you know, you can't get on the news and the TV or anything. Um, and so I do think that these are two really clear ways to do it. And it's also like not a form that people know, if that makes sense. Like if I say, come be in a Shakespeare play, 
there can be some reticence because there's some preconceived notions to what that is. Uh, but if I say come be in a living newspaper, people are gonna be like, what, what is that, right? And so it, is a, it, it does allow for um, interaction without preconceived conditions of what it can be. And I think that's a really important thing for people because people do need to be comfortable. And, you know, growing and like working in schools and in theater education, you know, there is in everybody, there is a guard around um, silliness or there's a guard around expression or there's a guard around sharing. And so figuring out ways to kind of remove those barriers and allow people to share and express in a way that uh, not only makes them feel connected to everybody, but makes that people that they know feel connected to them in a bigger way. Well, I am curious because of your background in theater, you know, it, it, actors always say that, you know, they'll, they'll go to a movie or a TV show or something, but they'll say, oh, I want to go back to the theater because, you know, it's the audience and it's just a whole other animal. Um, but you're, you're sort of losing that. I mean, like you said, you're ostensibly reaching a larger audience, but you're not really seeing them. You're not in the moment with them yourself as an actor. I was just wondering what you, uh, you think is lost in that, or maybe what do you think is gained in that experience? Well, uh, I do think it's interesting, like, if you're on stage, if you're performing on stage, that means uh, they have to come to you in a certain sense, right? The audience has to come to where you are. And depending upon the room that you are in, only so many people can see it at one time. Um, and so while you do lose that amazing immediate connection that can happen in theater, you are gaining um, a higher bandwidth in terms of who you can reach. Uh, I will say that one of our hopes with this, and obviously this started during COVID, uh, this idea started during COVID. So the radio became, it, to us, it seemed like a much clearer way to get to people. And now that things are sort of opening up, it does give us the ability to sort of consider what a live version of this could look like. Um, and how do we structure further ones in a way that would uh, lend themselves to being produced. And I think that actually comes down uh, for me right now uh, and for this project, it seems like the best way to do that is who we collaborate with. You know, right now, right, I said we're collaborating with Decarcerate, but we're also looking at collaborating with the archives of U of A and um, the Southern Tenant Farmers Museum down in Tyronza. Um, and so can we structure what we're creating now as a way that it furthers the mission of our partners? And is this a gift or is this a tool that we are creating that they can use at their own convenience, right? So if we do this collaboration with uh, the Southern Tenant Farmers Museum, is there a way that we can then stage a performance there in that community as a way to kind of raise awareness, raise funds, raise interest in what they're doing? And so a lot, it kind of forces us and encourages us to be a little bit more direct about the performance that we're trying to do. Yeah, I would say that, you know, maybe we're not engaging with a live audience exactly in the same way that we would consider like, you know, going to a play or something like that. But we are going to be dealing with um, uh real people who exactly don't do this in their everyday um, and working with them. Um, and, you know, on some level, you hope that that is um, like a spark, right? That, you know, once you empower everyday people to be able to do this on their own, then they can empower other people. 
this is the art scene. From UA Little Rock Public Radio, I'm Daniel Breen. We're speaking with Andy Vaught and Whit Berenger, co-creators of the living newspaper series Theater of the Air, set to begin airing in early August on KABF 88.3. Ultimately, this project is about showing showing a mirror to people and saying, no, you have it all here. You don't actually need um, a, a theater professor and a history professor to um, you know, prompt you to be able to write this. Like you had this all along and all we're doing is helping you say, okay, well, here are the steps of how you put it together. And, and, you know, thinking uh, differently about how you organize those things. Right. And, uh, I think that there's so much, so much of the gulf in, um, the United States between people, uh, you know, we can, uh, look kind of at a political map, of people who have advanced degrees and people who only have high school educations. And like, there's this sense that this is an unbridgeable gulf. And it's like, you know, uh, I think that there are a lot of academics like uh, Andy and me, and I, and I don't know that Andy, I don't know, Andy does teach, but I don't know that he would necessarily, uh, do you consider yourself an academic? You know, sometimes, sometimes I do. Sometimes, I Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of sometimes too, Um, but uh, (laughs) you know, yourself an academic. (laughs) well uh you know that just this sense that there's this unbridgeable gulf between people who aren't speaking the same language and it's like all that we learn in academia is a way of of seeing and a way of thinking around what we see um so like we see things differently because of how we've been trained to see things differently but that doesn't and we have these tools to be able to talk about it and that tool those tools are usually language um and so like in this, it, this almost, uh, it almost feels like kind of an ambassadorial exchange of like, you know, this is the sense of, you do not have to be in the academy. Like you do not have to have these formal trainings. These are just things that might help, you know, and uh, the, these tools that we have, they're just things that might help. And so I get this sense of um, real purpose from working with with people who feel like they have been shut out of being able to create or being shut out of being able to have a voice that they feel like they could trust. Um, And it's like, no, you like, again, showing the mirror and saying, no, you've got it. Um, All we need to do is um, all you all you all you may need, like sometimes it may not be even that they need us like it may just be that they needed the outlet and we gave it to them. Um, but, you know, because we're already talking to people who have already made their own plays, Right. So it's not like it's not something where we, you know, have come and, and, and visited upon this idea upon people uh, that they didn't already have themselves, but it's just kind of empowering them to feel like they can do it um, and giving them kind of a, a vehicle to do so. I mean, one of the things that I, I tell my students a lot is that, you know, m- many uh, of the ways in which we feel like we can't talk to each other really do have to do with not being able to, not talking with the same language. And, you know, this is a chance for people to translate what they think, they think theater is a, a uh, different language, right? And this is a chance for them to translate it into their own language and real, realize that there, there is the, the structure of theater or the ideas of theater, they already knew, like, it's something that you kind of uh, pick up, you intuit as you get older and the, like through the things that you watch and 
um, and that they, and also that Arkansans are in general really good storytellers, um, that they're really good Southern storytellers. Um, my grandmother, um, you know, my, my memories of my grandparents and I know other people's memories of their grandparents in Arkansas are that they told stories and that they were good stories. They were stories that you like to, um, you know, listen to and you didn't mind when they were told the second, third or 12th time, right? And um, I think that, you know, seeing that all of these elements are just sitting there, right? And that people um, don't have the, haven't had the space set aside or been asked or haven't been able to prioritize that this is something that you can do, you know? And um, I think that Arkansans in general, there is this general sense, having lived here all, all but six years of my life, um, having lived in Arkansas uh, all but six years of my life, I feel like um, Arkansans uh, generally see themselves as kind of the butt of the joke or as, um, you know, ranked 50th or 49th, thank God for Mississippi, as everyone says. Um, and I, I, I am so invested um, in seeing Arkansans see themselves as being worth more than last and that they have these talents. And, you know, it happens every time when there's an Arkansan that goes on national TV, like, um, oh, what was his name? Uh, the, the guy from Conway who ended up on American Idol and like the whole state was rooting for him because it's like no Arkansans ever get put on that national stage. And it's like, everybody knows that Billy Bob Thornton and Mary Steenbergen, like Bill Clinton, these are the people from Arkansas who went and made it big, you know? And it's like, there's a sense that you have to leave to be something worth the time, the energy, worth attention, um, worth listening to. And it's like, no, the all you need is right here. And I am so excited about the potential, um, especially starting off with an episode um, with Decarcerate. Um, so we're going to be starting off with people who were imprisoned and their stories and the stories of their families and the stories of the system that um, exists. And, you know, starting that's, I mean, that's an argument that we're starting from there and saying that everybody here is worth listening to. Well, I was curious because you're, you're both Southerners and you're both very much in tune to that, uh, like the music of Southern culture and storytelling that tradition and, and how great it is, you know, just in and of itself alone. Um, but also uh, you both as theater people and, you know, occasional academics, as you both said, um, like how much responsibility do you feel to the narrative or to the audience in maybe crafting a narrative, maybe rearranging pieces? But how does that sort of interplay with the, the Southern in you that says, you know, just play this as it is because like it's it's gold as it is. <laughs> like what what is that relationship? It seems like certainly for this first one, it is a, a sort of a mixture of those, right? So these individuals who are currently incarcerated have been kind enough and uh, dedicated enough to give us their testimonials on things. And so there are certain things like that, which we feel are pretty sacrosanct, right? Like we're not going to touch these things. We're not going to edit these things. Um, that is very much living. And we want people to sort of experience the full breadth of that. Um, obviously, uh, it's very hard to make a work of theater or work uh, and maybe journalism. Maybe Jane, you can tell us about this. It might be a little easier, but um, it is hard to do it without a viewpoint because without a viewpoint, it's going to be tough to form your argument and to make something with cohesion. Uh, and so there is definitely a focus on this. And I think that focus 
comes from the people that we work with, right? So because we are partnering with Decarcerate here, it's important to us. Um, and I think both Wit and I as individuals feel like their mission is very valuable and we do support it. Uh, but it's important for us to sort of help them structure or, or structure what we're doing in a way that's going to benefit Decarcerate and bring more attention to the work that they are doing. Um, and so I think that is sort of where our focus is, is how do we ensure that one, the history is accurately communicated to that the individuals that are assisting and participating feel like their work has been recognized and featured appropriately. And three, how do our community partners benefit from the work that we are doing? How can this sort of be a sort of three-tiered thing? Maybe four-tiered, how do we also make it entertaining? Um, which is the next thing, right? We, we you know, Mar I think everyone talks about Mark Twain where it's a lot easier. I I'm gonna completely butcher this quote, uh, but you know, it's a lot easier to get somebody to do something through humor than through um, seriousness. That is not a Mark Twain quote at all. Mark Twain would never speak that badly. But, um, but you know, how do, we, how do we communicate this information? How do we celebrate our partners and our collaborators? And also how do we make sure that people spend their hour, hour and a half in a way that is pleasing and not painful to them? And I also think, uh, you know, to to that question about like, how do you balance the needs of making a show, right? With like, especially when you're crowdsourcing. And I think that there is, um, because these episodes are going to be themed, that takes the pressure off of these individual pieces to be, you know, completely transcendent or to be like perfect in their narrative and how they're shaped and what have you, because they have the... They can be whole stories, but they can also be vignettes. And because of the overall structure and because of how we're piecing things together, the pressure is not on any one piece to carry the show. It, the pressure is kind of distributed amongst all of these. And in that structure, like, uh, uh, you know, all of these different pieces, all of the narrative components that we're adding in, in that way, that is the kind of shared uh, um, uh, that is the shape of our Arkansas and that it's on all of us um, and it's not on any one person to just lift the rest of um, all, all the other pieces on the show so um, and in that way there is there is like the skit show element right like you know you can look at these larger uh, uh, skit shows, SNL, or uh, the other one that came to mind is Mad TV, which is uh, at this point almost 20 years out of date. But um, the uh, there's a sense that, you know, I, I'm in for the ride. Like I'm tuning in at this time because these are people that I want to see. I want to see what they're coming up with this week. And maybe some of the things are going to be riffing on ideas that they've already seen, but it's going to be new in some way that there's going to be some new element to it. And, you know, some things may be unsuccessful. And that's also something that we have to, you know, uh, we have to accept is that, you know, these individual pieces, maybe they're not as successful uh, in the sense that they don't resonate like we would like them to, or, if, you know, if only we could tweak this person's story, then maybe it would, it would go farther. But because we had the integrity of saying, no, these stories are these stories, right? And we are trying to we're not trying to exploit people 
and say, oh, your idea was really good. I'm just going to rewrite it really quick. Um, it's, it's more about um, making sure that everybody feels like it was a participatory process and then, um, you know, compensating in the structure of the thing to make it all work together. Um, and again, I, I feel like there's a metaphor in there for just the shape of society and that we have to, um, uh, you know, yes, there are going to be things that aren't, are, there are going to be some things that may be transcendent. And there are also going to be things that maybe are just not quite where we want, want them to be, but together the whole thing is worth more than any individual part. That was Whit Berenger speaking alongside Andy Vaught. They're the co-creators of Theater of the Air, a living newspaper project partnering with nonprofits and groups across Arkansas. Their first episode is set for August 8th at 4 p.m. on KABF 88.3 here in Central Arkansas. And that's our show for this week. Please tune in next week at the same time. I'm Daniel Breen, and the art scene is a presentation of UA Little Rock Public Radio.